Hey everybody, I am Stephanie Goss and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. This week on the podcast, it's probably going to be one of those episodes where a lot of you guys are thinking, is this my clinic they're talking about? We were recently talking with a colleague who has a situation that I think is going to sound familiar to a lot of us and that is, what do we do when we have a tenured veterinarian who's been with the practice for a long time and who really is beloved? The team loves them, the clients love them, and yet they're all always at the clinic. They're the vet who is there for three and four hours after their shift ends. We know that they're an amazing vet and yet they have horrible work-life balance. Let's get into this. And now the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke and Stephanie. Take me home tonight, Goss. Take me home tonight and drop me off when my shift is over because it's the only way I'm going to leave because I'm one of those doctors who never goes home. <laughs> I'm so glad that's the direction that yeah, you took I felt, that I in felt, because <laughs> I felt I should. I felt I should elaborate on. Yeah, there was no. going to have to be some serious podcast editing happening. <laughs> yeah, no. That's, how's it going? How's it going, Andy? It's it's crazy. It's completely <laughs> insane. I um. I am back from Western Vet Conference and I'm yeah. ready to report. Um, it was it was weird. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was it was so first let me say the folks at um, Viticus Group who uh-huh. run Western they did a darn good job. They did a great job working when in weird circumstances in a weird time. Um, yeah. They did a fantastic job and the conference was really wonderful. It was just weird. It was just weird because traveling now is weird and. Um, the casinos in Vegas, you wouldn't believe it. They're serious about masks and they, man, they cracked the whip and enforced that. And so everybody was, which is great. Everybody was, everyone was masked. And so I went, I walked past people that I bet I've known for 10 years and I did not say hi. Uh-huh. Um, and so I know that that <laughs> happened, but it was just, you know, a lot of the, um, a lot of the restaurants and stuff were closed. They're like, Vegas never sleeps. Let me tell you, Vegas does sleep now. Yeah. And it's because they don't have staffing. Um, yeah. The, you it's know, not, they, it's, just, know. it's not just the veterinary world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was actually a really interesting way to think about it and look at it. There's a lot of stuff that we talk about in, vet, in the vet world, like it's an industry specific problem. And then you go to Vegas and you're like, oh, they can't hire people in restaurants. Like they mm-hmm. have minimal staff. They're closing early. They're not able to service these needs. I, I'll tell you just an example. Um, there was not place to buy coffee until uh, 6 a.m. Eastern time or sorry, Pacific time. 6 a.m. Pacific time. And for the city that never sleeps, not being able to get coffee before 6 a.m., yeah. like that's a that's a thing. And especially <laughs> given how many people fly out there from the East Coast and like me are programmed to get up at 4.30. I get up at 4.30 every day. The fact that coffee was not available until 6 a.m., that was a problem. Right. <laughs> that was a problem. <laughs> the city never sleeps my butt. So it, but it was, but it was weird. And so I say all of that stuff to say. Uh, here's what I came away with. And I, I think this is going to be my challenge in the in the coming year, in all aspects of life, really. If I went there and I decided that how good my experience was, was related to how similar it was to conferences in the past, I would have been disappointed. Yeah. I would have gone and said it was so much smaller and the casinos were quiet and everybody wore masks and I'm sure I didn't get to talk to a lot of people and and just talking to people in general is just sort of a different experience than it was before. And boy, comparing that to what it's been in the past, I really didn't like it. And so I could I can go that way. And sometimes I do go that way. But the other thing is if I go and say, Oh my God, this is a conference compared to being in a quarantine or being locked down or not seeing my friends for a year and a half, I go, This is wonderful. Yeah, this was really a great experience with a lot of really wonderful people. And it was great to be back together and to hear about what other people are doing and what are going their practice. And it was really, really fantastic. And I think that that dichotomy is real. I think it's real for a lot of us, not just at vet conferences, but in a lot of our life. Sure. I think the choice that I'm going to have to make for myself and work on is not comparing what we're doing to how we used to do it, mm-hmm. but instead owning the fact that life goes on and the world keeps turning and we live in a different time and a different day and just appreciating things for what they are, not how they feel compared to how they used to be, you know? 
Well, and we've talked about that a lot on the podcast from the perspective of the clinic. And I think that that for a lot of us, I think a lot of us have been at home thinking there's going to be this magic date at some point in the future where we wake up and things go back to normal. And I think for a lot of people, they still have not been able to wrap their brain around the idea that there is no going back. Like everything is going to be different to a degree as we move forward in the future. And so I think that's a really positive headspace to be in, especially when you think about something that was such a major part of your life pre-pandemic, traveling, being on the road, seeing people, talking to people face-to-face, like that experience is never going to be the same. I don't, I don't think that there's any magic date in the future that is just going to poof. Now, all of a sudden it's going to be like it was two years ago. And I, I, you know, I I think that's something that's hard for a lot of us. (laughs) So I like, I like that perspective. Well, I think that's true in the clinics, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know that curbside will go away for all of us, Uh, for some of it will, for some of us, it never came. Um, (laughs) You know, I just, I don't know the way, what pet owners want and kind of how they want to interact. I I don't, I think those things are evolving. And, Mm -hmm. and if we go, well, that's not how we do it then um, then I think we're going to be disappointed. And that kind of leads into, into what I want to talk about today. So uh, that's not how we do it. This is how we've always done it. I had a really interesting conversation and somebody sort of brought up a challenge that I think a lot of vet practices have dealt with and, and I have seen a many, many, many times. Yeah. And the, the challenge is, what do you do when you have a veterinarian who does not go home? They stay late every night they don't take lunch breaks they don't take uh you know coffee breaks they just they work through the day they work through the breaks and then they stay late at night and they're proud of it mm-hmm. and people a lot of people go uh, practice owners are like we're well, talking about you why would that be a problem uh, <laughs> it's a problem because oftentimes the vets drive the workflow and when the vets don't take lunch, the techs don't get lunch, mm-hmm. you know, unless mm-hmm. you, unless you have staffed, um, uh, unless you staffed in that in that way. Um, but a lot of times the techs don't get lunch. And then when the vet stays two or three hours past closing, the support staff is also there two or three hours after closing, supporting the vet doing those things. Right. And and so just staying late, just not taking breaks. That's one thing having doctors that live that life and work that way and see it as a as a source of pride i think that that is a very common occurrence and i think that what we're seeing is this clash in a culture change where vet medicine is starting to get more focused on wellness and on taking care of our people and on mm-hmm. longevity of careers and we're recognizing that a lot of those behaviors burn they burn us out and they yes. and they radiate out and burn out our team around us And so those are behaviors that a lot of practices are pushing back against. And I I think that's a very good, very healthy thing. And so, uh, so anyway, the, the, the story that that came up was, um, Hey, I have a a veterinarian who, uh, who has stayed late every night for the last 13 years. Yeah. And, and is proud of that. Like, as like, I'd stay late every single night. Well, and I think, um, it, wasn't so much that they were proud that they stayed late, but they found pride in the work that they were doing. Like, right, because they, the hippie car walks in the door at five o'clock. Yes, of course, I will take care of that patient. Um, These clients need to be called back. Of course, I'm going to take care of my clients. I'm going to call them back. It's that, that drive to do a fantastic job because for this vet, that was what they felt was defining being a good veterinarian from for themselves, like was taking care of everybody and everything and making sure that those T's were crossed and those I's were dotted and that their desk was cleared off before they went home at the end of the night. Because to them, it didn't feel like they were doing a good job if they didn't do all of that. I don't know. I th- I think that that's part of it. I think that's part of it. I still believe that there is some toughness measuring uh, in, in our profession. I, I do think that there is the, I see all the things you, you see in other industries, right? In, in corporations. And I think a lot of this stuff goes by the wayside, but a lot of it's still around. You'll see this stuff where people will do kind of these macho things of like, we're doing a three hour meeting. And if you go to the bathroom, it's a sign of weakness, right? Because the rest of us are working so hard and you go, 
that's garbage. That's so dumb. Right. Um, but but those things those those things persist in the world or like um, you know you see a lot. My brother uh, is an attorney. He does uh, estate planning. He's taking a paternity break because he just had a, a baby. Yeah, and good for him, and that's great. And he works for himself, so he can do that. But it is kind of funny of some of the things that people have sort of said to him, or like some side eye that he's got, where people are like, "All right, really? How long? How long are you gonna be gone? You yeah, know? Uh, like oh yeah, that's that's all. That's good and all. Um, see you Monday." And he's like, "No, you won't see me Monday. I'm not kidding. I'm not not gonna be here. Don't call because you'll get voicemail." You well, know? I mean, I think that I think that law is uh, law practice is the the perfect example of that, right? There's there's millions of stories and and books about people and in industries like the legal field where you get out of law school and if you want to work for a big firm, like you you go and the expectation is you're working 60, 70 hour weeks and if you don't, you're weak. And I think your point about that from veterinary medicine is a good one because I think that there is some of that that has been culturally ingrained in veterinary medicine that we need to be all things to all people. And the expectation is you're you're there and you you do this because you love it. And so you're you're available and committed 24-7. And anything less than that is is unacceptable. And so I think that from that point, um, it is a cultural challenge in veterinary medicine the same way that it is in in the legal fields. Yeah. The the other part of this that I see a lot. So so we've talked about two sort of two drivers, right? One of them is uh, this is what it means to be a good doctor. One of them is kind of a, a cultural kind of a toughness. Um, I, you know, I can take it sort of thing. And then the last part is we do have a certain subset of our population that um, that sees their worth tied to how much they sacrifice. Yeah. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of, it is this, I know people don't like this, this term, but it is sort of this martyr Olympics where yep. it's like, oh, I sacrificed more than you. That must mean that I care more. Right. You, you, you went and had lunch. You must not care as much as me. And, mm-hmm. and again, it's not outwardly placed like that, but um, it's not hard to see. You see it on social media a lot where somebody says, um, oh, I had this awful day. I, you know, this bad thing happened to me. And there's a there's a game in improv comedy called Luxury where you have someone who makes a, a bad statement like, I hurt my back today. And the other improv comics shout, luxury, and then tell them why that's a luxury compared to what happened to them. It's like, luxury, you have a back to hurt. Ah, mine was amputated years ago. And, and it's just supposed to spin off into absurdity. I see that, I see that in social media groups in sure. vet medicine where someone's like, oh, Boy, I didn't get to eat today. Someone goes, I don't even take lunches. Be- or, like, I don't pack lunches because I haven't eaten in 10 years. And, <laughs> and people are, you know, people are like, I I, I haven't had water in 10 years. That's it. That's how it's bad is for me. I can't even taste water. I, I have no thirst anymore. It's gone from my body. I don't feel it. I mean, it sounds absurd, but I have. I have watched conversations where the topic of conversation has been the fact that you can make it through a 10 hour shift without having to pee because you've trained your body that you can't and you won't. And so your body just now is doing it. And there's, there's very, I'm going to, this is going to sound crazy to some of you, but like that's sickness. There is sickness there. (laughs) Like that is unacceptable. (laughs) And we need to look at that with honesty because our, that's not how bodies work. It's not how they're supposed to work. Any yeah. any doctor you go and visit is going to tell you that's that's wrong. That's not yeah. a good thing. I, I think that those are the three things. Um, there the There's a perfectionist drive of I have to do, I have to do everything perfectly and I have to do everything to complete completion and mm-hmm. it all needs to be worked up to a high standard of care. And I also cannot turn people away because that would not be perfection either. And I cannot, you know, limit my schedule because that is not perfection. And then they're trapped in this just hellish perfection, you know, um, cage mm-hmm. of I can't turn people away. I can't disappoint them. I can't turn them down. And I also cannot do less than A plus work. And so I'm stuck here and I'm going to be here. <laughs> I'm going to live here in this vet clinic forever. 
And then there is the the toughness thing of I can take it, uh, work ethic. And is, again, that's one of the things for me. Work ethic is a core value of mine. And so I was kind of raised to respect people who just bust their butts mm -hmm. and don't get tired. Um, and, you know, only now looking around, I go, yeah, you know, I still think work ethic is important and it's still a core value for me, but within within constraints. But anyway, so anyway, I, I still very much see that perspective. I think I think if there's something that dr would drive me in that direction, I think that the work ethic above all else, uh, it would be the button for me. And then the last one is is sort of the um, I find my identity in my willingness to suffer in my in my willingness to sacrifice myself because through my sacrifice i show how much i care and that's i think that is a mentality people have so i i, I those are the three sort of head spaces that i see okay and so in our in our example we were discussing this with a uh with a mutual friend and the challenge is coming from they have a doctor on their team and the person we were talking to is is the practice leader and they are coming into the situation and they're looking at this and they are looking at that doctor and their own feelings as a leader is this is unacceptable you you need to take care of yourself because if you don't take care of yourself you're not going to be able to take care of our team you're not going to be able to take care of our patients go the f home <laughs> it's really it's really the conversation that's trying to be had and they are getting frustrated because they have had this conversation on repeat and yet this vet is feeling like they are doing a good job and they don't understand why they're being asked to do less and to yeah. go to, to leave it and to yeah. go home. And there's a struggle between this leader and this veterinarian. And they were like, this is the this is the challenge. This is what I've been going through. Um, and so you and I were like, well, how do you what do you do when that's the case? You know, what do you do when you have a veterinarian who has been trained and it's ingrained and their self-identity is tied to it? And they're looking at their work thinking, I am doing a damn good job. And their boss yeah. is looking at them going, you're going to burn yourself out. I don't think you're doing a good job because I, you're not going to last. Go home. Right. Or, or, um, or we're, we're constantly in overtime and the staff is complaining. Yes. Uh, yeah. And they, they want to go home and this is not a, a benefit for them. And, uh, the staff is frustrated and they're complaining about work-life balance and not being able to be off. And, yep. you know, and then there's always these little tangential things that come out of it of, you know, the other doctors feel guilty or they wonder if they're doing the job mm -hmm. that they're supposed to be doing. Um, you know, and just, just all, there's all these little things that come out of that, come out of that behavior. So, so the first thing, let's, let's just start unpacking this problem. Okay. The first thing is start with why, before you talk to this doctor, uh, you need to get your head straight about why you're going to have this conversation. Like what, what exactly are you talking to them about? If it's just, mm -hmm. you're, you're staying here, uh, at three extra hours a night. And uh, we need to talk about that. I mean, I've worked with those doctors and I, I like those doctors. And at the same time, I see them staying late three hours a night and I go, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. and, you know, and you, you got to You got to go home. And they, they generally have different reasons for doing it, but they fall into those three categories that we talked about. The first thing to, to be able to talk to this person is you, you need to tell them why they need to go home yeah. um, and just start the conversation with that. Not just look, you need, you need to go home. I'm worried about you go home. Like, let's, let's really talk about burnout in this profession. Let's talk about setting a good example for the rest of the staff and the other mm -hmm. doctors. You're the most senior doctor. The other doctors look to you. If you never unplug, then you are sending signals to them that they should never unplug. Yeah. And they think that that's the culture. And culture comes from the top, and you are setting the culture. And we don't want to have a work-all-the-time culture. We really do want people to have a balanced lifestyle. And guys, you better get on that train. I, I really, I really believe that. And, um, you know, another conversation we sort of had recently, we were talking about a lot of practices that are losing doctors to home hospice care. And people go, well, why are we losing doctors to home hospice care? It's like, because there's great life balance there. Mm -hmm. You know, they could really control their schedule generally, and they do a couple appointments a day and they, and, you know, home hospice tends to have a lot of flexibility. I'm speaking in general terms, but that's why I think a lot of people are going to relief vet work, to home mm -hmm. hospice, to sure. uh, to telemedicine, 
uh, things like that is to have that schedule flexibility and stuff. And so if general practice wants to keep up, I think that that type of, of enforced life balance, um, that culture shift away from we work all day and all night, no one works as hard as us. I think that's a, I think that's a shift that has to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think you and I have talked on many podcasts about um, the most effective way to problem solve is to begin with the end in mind. And if you don't know why you're having this conversation with them before you have the conversation, you need to get your head straight on the, the why. And it can be tied to your concern for them. It can be tied to your sure. caring about their their, you know, work-life balance, about the fact that they're not at home getting to have dinner with their kids, whatever it is. But you sure should know the why. And you also, you can't define their why for them, but you right. need to have a conversation plan that allows you to ask them what is their why and get to the root of why are they, not only why are they doing the things that you want them to stop doing, but why aren't they doing what yeah. you want them to do? Yeah, I, I think that's really important, right? There's there's two sets of motives at play here. And if you really want to be good at this conversation, you figure out what they both are. So <laughs> the first set of motives is yours. And it can be something as genuine and compassionate as caring as you have a you just got married and your spouse is gonna want to see you and you're, you know, and you're here all the time and you know, I know that you're tired and I know you have other interests that you want to do. And I don't want you to burn out and quit in three years. I want you to stay with us for for 30 years. That's what right. I want for you. That's a wonderful, generous, compa compassionate reason. It's nothing to do with overtime or other staff members or retaining staff. It's just it's a it's a great reason. If that's your reason, that's great. The other side, here, here's the thing. So that can be your reason. You know what your reason is. But your reason might not be my reason. And if you're coming to talk to me, you're going to talk to me all about your reason. And it's not going to be super motivating to me. Or you're going to come and talk to me about your pain, which is paying staff overtime, which honestly, I'll tell you as a doctor, I might not care much about. Right. Uh, what I care about is seeing the I mean, honestly, you know, uh, it's funny. These are, these are the business. When business people talk to medicine people, right. a lot of times we have this exact, you know, uh, head desk moment where it's just they're speaking two different languages, yeah. you know, and and you can put we're not going to hit our third quarter earnings. And the vet's like, I don't care. Right. Like I could not care less <laughs> about your third quarter earnings. What I care about is patient care and seeing these people coming in the door. Mm -hmm. And nobody's wrong. Nobody's bad. We've all we're all balancing, you know, our uh, our needs and and uh, and the positions that we're in. And so uh, you need to understand what motivates the vet. And it, are they the perfectionist person who is like, I don't see a way out of this because I need to get it right. I need to do A plus work. And this yeah. is how I do A plus work. And if you talk to them about their well-being and burnout, you're going to be frustrated because your concern about burnout does not fix their problem right. about A plus work. You're just speaking different languages. Now, I can still say I care about you and that's why I'm going to wade into this conversation with you. But ultimately, I am going to have to figure out what their drivers are and fix as many of those as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's like if the if you are trying to have the conversation with a doctor who's staying late because they're writing up three page records for every single appointment because they're afraid of, uh, you know, a lawsuit or a board complaint. And you talk to them about how you're worried about their wellness and being able to get home and have dinner with their kids like that might also be important to them. But that doesn't that doesn't translate into if I don't write this up, someone could sue me, right? Like that's their, that's their core concern. And so you have to be able to think about um, pre, like we're talking about pre-planning conversation. That would be something I would think about and something I would ask myself, what do I think that their, their reasoning is for, uh, for this? And then, and then you have to ask them because yeah, what, what them. you yeah, think doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I want to be prepared, but right. ultimately ask them, Right. Why, why? Why is this happening? What What happens? Like you're a great, you're a great, efficient doctor. Right. And this can this is a consistent thing. What 
how can I help you? Like, what what is what is the reason behind this? Yep. And th- and then we ha- we have to listen. You know, we have yeah. to we have to listen to what they say and what we prioritize. Them. Let's get let's get into headspace here real quick to go talk to this doctor. You know, and we always start with this, and we talk about being safe to have conversations. Mm-hmm. The wrong so get safe for this conversation. So S, um, what is S? S is seek for no. I want to S. Um, and can I smile at this person? Can I? I forgot. <laughs> I'm like, what, what the heck? We've only done this a million times. Uh, S, can I smile at this person? Can I sit next to them? Too often, I see what happens is uh, the staff comes and they were like, we were here three hours late last night. And that's not going to, and my husband is, is furious and my kids didn't get dinner until eight o'clock at night. And I am going, they're crying and they're like, I'm going to quit because I cannot keep doing this. And, and like, just, justified, justified. Yeah. But, but that's how they're feeling. And the practice manager is like, oh my God. And there's three other techs with her who are like, we're supportive of, of her because we also feel this way. And you're like, everybody's going to quit. And you go to the doctor and you say, look, we need to get people out of here on time. And they look at you in the face and say, don't tell me how to do medicine. I'm doing <laughs> the best medicine possible and taking the best care of my patients. And don't you dare ask me to compromise. And that is when the manager loses her stuff. Like yes. She just loses it. And understandably so, that feeling of panic and then you're going and you're having this weird conversation. And it's weird because you're not really talking about what you're talking about. Right. You know, you're talking about going home, but that is not what you're talking about. You're talking about self-identity. You're talking about what it means to be good at your job and what it means to, uh, you know, to achieve your goals and follow your values. Like it is, it is a complicated conversation. And when you're mad or when you're panicked or when you're triggered, that is the wrong time to have it. But that's when most people have it because right. <laughs> it's, so, it's super easy to put off. You're right. like, you know what? Like she's staying late. She's working really hard. She's doing, you know, good stuff. Like I'm not, I'm not super rushing to have this conversation. And so we don't rush until right. something significant happens. And now we're having this conversation under a time crunch uh, because we've made promises that things are going to change and we don't know if we can make them change. You know, like we generally have screwed ourselves by not having the conversation when we could sit next to the person, when we could smile, when we could be relaxed. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and the other thing, too, that I think is really in, important, there's there's two pieces of the safe that I think are really, really important. The whole thing is, but um, assuming good intent. So it's important that we can smile at that person, but also like this is where you don't jump to conclusions. Ask right. them why and then shut up and listen. Because if you think that you know their reasoning, you're, it is very, very easy to fall into the trap of assuming ill intent and thinking they're yeah. doing this intentionally. They know they're aware that this is a problem and they're just doing it anyways. They don't care what I think. They're not well, respecting me as a leader. It's very easy to fall into that trap. And so, yeah. sorry, I'm jumping in. I'm like, oh, no, nope. <laughs> uh, quick, quick, because I'm all about this. You're exactly right. Like, uh, you know, assume good intent. Some, some of the things that pop into people's minds are especially if, if there's production-based compensation involved, it's really easy to be like, oh, he's, he just he just wants to make money and he's yep. he's working through lunch because he's money motivated and uh, what a what a jerk. You know, it's, it, he's being greedy and burning yep. out the staff. And you go, yep. man, what a horrible thing to think about one of our colleagues. You know, just start it. And e- even if you're right, even if this is a monster you work with, if you go in with that mindset, like you're setting yourself up to, to fail. Yeah. And and I think here the F is is very important as well, because I think as we talked about in the beginning of the episode, our culture in veterinary medicine, the old culture in veterinary medicine is be all things to all people and work all the time and be on call 24 seven because you never know when a client's going to need you. And so from that respect, we have set a lot of our associates and a lot of our team members up to fail because that is how they were trained. We might not have been the ones who trained them that way, but that is the training that a lot of them have, particularly our our more seasoned and tenured veterinarians. And so I think that's where we have to stop before we have the conversation and create that safety net and look at this is not necessarily all their fault. There is a piece of this that 
they were trained that way. This is how they learned. And we need to acknowledge that and create the safety for them to say, I don't like it either, but it's what I know. Yeah. And and I I really want to beat that drum hard. You know, so we talk about F and safe is, has this person been set up to fail? The answer is yes. In my opinion, when we talk about veterinarians struggling with wellness, when we talk about them struggling with personal boundaries, hell yes, they've been set up to fail. And I just, (laughs) I I, I really believe that. And again, I, I'm a big believer in people taking responsibility for themselves and their lives. At the same time, let's be honest about, about how we got where we are. Um, You know, you're looking at veterinarians who went through undergrad and and through vet school and they were supposed to get A's. They were supposed to get A pluses. They were supposed to go above and beyond. Going above and beyond is celebrated. That's how you get the gold star. That's how you get patted on the head. Yep. And so your whole flip in life is about you going above and beyond and working harder, putting in more hours, staying longer. And you've been rewarded for this for uh, forever. And now all of a sudden you're 35 and you've got a family and now you're getting tired, you know, and what you have learned and what's made you successful your whole life is the thing that's dragging you down. That's really hard. You know, the other thing is a lot of us came out of cultures where that was what was celebrated, right? right. You do uh, an internship or you came out as a, as a young doctor. I, I came out as a young doctor in an urban area and uh, I went to a big hospital and like that, that was it, man. You were supposed to put in the hours and that's, you know, the hours you put in and the number of cases you saw was what dictated whether or not you were successful. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that was the culture. That's where I came from. You know, we, we, we all kind of went through that. And so in a lot of ways we have been set up to fail. I would say at a smaller level, and again, this is just, this is some self-awareness and self-reflection on the part of practice leaders. What signals have you sent yeah. about what it means to be a successful veterinarian? I don't mean to be a, a jerk, but I really do think that that's, that's hard. I sit and think about that with our team, the Uncharted team, and I go, what signals am I sending to to the gang about what it means to be successful here? What is important? What, you know, what constitutes um, good work and what doesn't constitute good work? Um, and I think a lot of us don't have clear answers for those questions. And when we don't have some some ideas of, and we don't articulate what it means to do good work or what it means to be successful, we're kind of leaving the interpretation up to other people. Say, well, you figure out what it means to be successful. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know. I, I just think about that a lot. And so it, it's it's a subtle thing. And I'm not trying to point fingers at anybody other than to say we should all be thinking about in our practice, do people know what it means to be successful? Do we know what it means to be successful? Mm-hmm. And I think it's really easy to point at average client transaction, number of cases seen, you know, uh, client compliments, you know, online, positive online reviews and go, well, those are the things that make you successful. I'm not arguing against that, but I'm saying that has to be tempered with self-care, taking care of yourself, enjoying your job, you know, having a rewarding life around this job. But we have to call that out because it's not obvious and apparent. I think that is is a great point. And then from the F and from the fact that we know that we have set ourselves up as an industry to fail in this regard like this is how we've been trained and the old culture is shifting to a new culture and we're in that space of growth that's always very painful and hard because everybody's learning a new way and the people who have never experienced the old way are like why can't it go faster and the and the people who have only known the old way are like what do you people want from me? I'm trying my hardest. Like that's yeah. a, that's a painful oh. space, right? And you can't hurry it along no matter how much both sides want it to go faster. And so I think the last big piece for me is has to do with it's not going to happen overnight and we have to be patient because no matter what changes are made um, with this veterinarian, with our teams as a whole, within our practice and, and shifting culture is all of that takes time to to build. Yeah. And we have to be patient, not only with the people that we're asking change from, but we also have to be patient with ourselves. And sometimes as leaders, that means telling ourselves, I need to slow, slow down. And yeah. I need to pull back the reins because I'm having unrealistic expectations to think that this can be shifted overnight because it can't. 
Yeah, I man, I, I love that. I, I think I think you're so spot on. There's definitely a generational component to this. Uh, young doctors are much more focused on wellness and on, on burnout, and a lot of older doctors just have not. They just don't they don't buy it, or they haven't had that uh, experience of burnout, and so they just. You know what I mean? It, it's not so it's not so baked into them, at, you know, in their career as a veterinarian. I, I, I'm super impressed in a lot of ways with how the vet schools have done stuff for wellness. I think there's a ways to go. Uh, but I but I still think compared to what used to be put forward in in medical training, it's night and day. And the younger generation is just so much more tuned to it. And so, yeah, I think a lot of times the you know, we you and I, I don't know if you remember, we did a podcast episode. It was back near the very beginning It was one of my favorite early episodes of this podcast and someone wrote to us and they said my boss i rolls so hard at work-life balance and yes. i was like man that's so, like that's that's one of those things where you go yeah i've seen that like that's yeah. I, I i love that i love that question and I, I love that episode but but that it there is a, a cultural component to it so yeah the the end result so the e and safe I think if you buy into the idea that this is a cultural thing, that this is baked into a lot of us, that this is, you know, a self-identity, you know, concept of like who I am is defined by how hard I work and the hours I put in and what I sacrifice and what I give of myself, then then you understand this is not going to be a flip a switch. Yep. Stop doing that. Okay, done. Conversation. And so the end result, um, this should have, this should be a, a long-term process. You should expect a long-term process and we're going to start talking about it, but this is something that we're probably going to have to, uh, we're going to have to slowly work on. Think about, think about the doctor clutching the old way tightly, just white knuckling it. <laughs> we're going to have to peel off individual fingers to get them to let it go. Like they're not going to put it down. We're going to, we're going to talk to them very gently. Like it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You're going to like this. I promise when it's over and we're going to slowly peel off the little finger and then the ring finger, it's going to be that. And so yeah. that is the other thing is I've, is I've seen a lot of people say, well, I talked to him. I'm sure this problem will fix itself in the coming days. And I'm like, mm, this is this is going to be a little bit longer than that. It took a long time to get into this headspace and to yes. build these habits. And it's going to take some time to get out of this headspace and to unbuild these habits. And so that's the end result. Yes, absolutely. I think and I think uh, the the biggest thing that we can do to support that end result is to say, like, look, we we recognize that this is not going to happen overnight. Let's pick one thing and start there and layer on as you succeed, right? It's it's like when you're trying to teach puppies basic commands, you start with something simple. And when they master that, you build on another skill and you build on another skill. You don't just start with, I'm going to teach them to play dead, right? Yep. Like we're most of us, it's let's teach them their name first yep. and then we'll go from there. And it's the same way with our, it's the same way with our teams. And that probably sounds bad to, to, um, you know, think about it in the mind frame of our team is like puppies, but it's, it's true in that regard. We know that that's how people build habits, the science. Uh, and the neuroscience mm -hmm. is there. And so you have to pick something small and make a goal achievable. It is very unrealistic to say, okay, especially if as the leader, you're coming at this because maybe you have an overtime problem, or maybe you have, um, you know, a, a labor issue because your doctor, your, your doctor is staying late and you're paying the staff, stuff like that. The knee jerk response is I need to fix this and I need to fix this now. And you have to recognize that that's an unrealistic expectation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just that you, you cannot say, I'm going to fix this in the next week, even the next 30 days. Like you need to build yourself a, a good runway for this. Yeah, this um, is a career, this is a career development issue. You know what I mean? It, that's really the healthiest way to think about it. Is this is a career development issue. It's not a uh, behavior problem that you fix. It's it's something we have to grow this person. Do you want to take a quick break and then come back and talk about how, okay, so how, how do we actually like help this doctor solve this challenge? Let's do it. All right. 
Hey everybody, it's Stephanie and I'm going to jump in here real quick and tell you about an upcoming workshop from the Uncharted community that you are not going to want to miss. Is your team struggling with negativity? Is everybody feeling tired and kind of like they're on the struggle bus? If so, we've got the workshop for you. Dr. Tracy Sands, our dear friend and founding member of the Uncharted community, is going to be presenting a workshop on Saturday, October 9th called Empowering Your Team to Get Positive and Stay That Way. For anyone who has had the opportunity to meet Tracy, you know that she is all about team culture and she is going to teach our workshop attendees how to level up their skills, get their team to actively practice skills that teach them to bounce back from negative situations in a constructive way and learn some everyday tools and games that are going to help guide your team to focus on the positive without pretending like everything is sunshine and rainbows when it's not. So if this sounds like something you'd be interested in, head on over to the website at unchartedvet.com and you can find the information about how to register and all of our upcoming events at unchartedvet.com forward slash upcoming dash events. Now back to the podcast. All right. Well, let's get into uh, what we're actually going to do with this person. Sound good? Yeah. Well, we started, we, we, we set the groundwork. Um, the big steps we want to hit. Number one is pre-wiring. Do your homework. Uh, I want to know what this person cares about uh, before I go into the conversation. If I, I'd like to know, is this a perfectionist? Is this a person who um, is driven by care and compassion and they, they, they can't, they can't leave any pet behind or, or, um, or end a conversation before the pet owner feels a hundred percent fully informed and supported like right. what is what is going on and i want to i'm going to ask the person what's going on but i'd still like to have uh, some evidence of my own and kind of my own perspective um sure just just to go in so that's called pre-wiring i'm, I'm going to try to try to figure out how this how this conversation is going to go before i have it without without freaking out about it right like i never i, I don't know how the conversation is going to go we're just going to go talk um but i still like to know what i'm walking into i'm yeah. going to think about i'm going to think about what is my why why are we having this conversation? Yeah. You know, what, what, what do I believe? And then also what is going to resonate with this person when I talk to them about why we need to make these changes, right? I, I've got to, I've got to, I've got, I want to have those things thought out about why, why are we doing this? And then the step beyond that is where we start to sort people a bit, right? And so depending on what the why is, that is where I'm going to have to try to flex this conversation. And, and and so let me go ahead and take the pressure off a lot of people by saying a lot of times this is a staged conversation, yes. meaning the first conversation is just, at, I know you guys were here until uh, three hours past closing last night. Um, what, happened? what happened? Yeah. You know, and just, just get the story and then start to say, Hey, you know, we need to talk about this and I'm worried about you and, and start to have these conversations. Help me understand you know, the other doctors get out of here and you and you stay late. Help, help me understand what's going on and have those conversations. And then you can leave after that. Mm-hmm. You can say, great, well, I need to sit with this. I need I need to process this a little bit. I need to think about this because I really want you to be happy here. And, and I want you I, I want you to I don't want you to burn out. And so I just mm-hmm. let, let me I just want to sit with this for a while and then you can just leave. And so a lot of times that lowers the stakes for people to say, you don't have to gather the information and then immediately use it in the same conversation. Yeah, I I agree with that. And I think that that tends to be where I go in conversations like this because I am very much um, a process person, especially when it comes to emotions. And um, I, I've talked before on the podcast about how I struggle <laughs> I struggle to deal with the tears. And this is the kind of conversation where if you, if your thoughts and your why are not uh, congruent with your doctors and you start pushing on them, um, I've been in the seat for conversations like this where then the tears start. And then I, then I really am like, I don't know what to do with this. And so what I've learned about myself is saying, I want to think about this. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. I, um, you know, I need some time to think about this. Can we circle back and touch base again next week? Because, and then I'll tell you how I probably would handle this is I wouldn't tell them necessarily, I know this is a pattern because I've been watching you already because that's going to make them 
immediately go on the defense. What mm-hmm. I would say is, would it be okay if we touch base again next week? Because I want to see how the next week goes for you. Like we've talked about this. Can you like? I know you're you're committed to trying harder because I've just asked you that during the course of the conversation. Can we just touch base again next week, and then circle back to the conversation? Because now I can talk about, hey, we talked about this last week, and then in the last week you stayed late five out of six shifts. What what's yeah. going on? Like this is yeah. not just an isolated incident. Now we're talking about a pattern. So being able to ask for that time and break the conversation there um, does two things for me. One, it it keeps it out of the defensive realm, and for me as a, as a manager who struggles with the emotions and how do I process my response to those emotions in those conversations, it uh, helps me avoid that moment of panic of like, oh, I hit a raw button here. And I and now I I know I need to exit the conversation and I feel super awkward doing so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 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 so I love that. I think that's, I think that's a great, I think that's a great way to look at it. I, I It's like the mention, right? Like you start the conversation, you're like, oh, you know, I'm going to pay attention to this. You didn't even tell them anything, but you just said, I'm going to watch this. Right. And for a lot of people, that's enough to go, oh, I'm going to watch it too. I'm going to start paying attention. I think the first thing in, in making any change is measuring, right? Yeah. I mean, metrics that we pay attention to get better. And that also means our wellness metrics. Like when we count our steps, we walk more. Like that has been well documented. I mean, step counters, they work just right. because they make it visible. And, and this is the same thing of paying attention. I really love that approach. There's a couple there's a couple tools that I want to kind of put forward for people to start thinking about when they when they have these conversations. One of the first ones, and again, you have to match the tools to to the person's why, what's driving this behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- one of the first ones is self-esteem. There are a lot of people who don't think they're good enough. Yeah. And so they stay. You know, they they're they're not good enough. And so they go the extra mile and I make up what I think I what I think I'm coming up short with by my effort and by my time and by not going home and by not letting myself rest. And and it's a self-esteem issue. And I think I think that's very common. And so it's amazing uh, often how far you can go with getting doctors to uh, prioritize their wellness by trying to bolster their self-esteem. And a very productive way is just to start and say, you're a phenomenal doctor. Let me tell you about how we look at our doctors and and what we care about here and talk to them about the way that the clients respond to them and talk to them about how the staff loves to work with them and talk to them about their medical outcomes and talk to them about how fortunate you feel to have them as a doctor. Mm-hmm. And, and just you can lean into that. But a lot of this is self-esteem and just sort of saying, hey, you're not defined by how long you're here. You are good. You are a good doctor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I need you to believe that you're a good doctor and then go home and enjoy your life. <laughs> you know, like you don't you don't need to put in these hours to be good. You are good. You are great. And we are lucky to have you. And so it's it's a subtle way of of sort of working into general compassion. But mm-hmm. but a lot of that is is that is that self is that self-esteem. And so I, I think some people try to. I don't know. They, I think they worry about about seeming like flattery, and I, I think you people generally know when they're being flattered. You know, they're sure. being sort of told things that aren't necessarily true. Um, some of this is an esteem, and and they're going to really need you to give them external validation of their work, mm-hmm. so that they can put it down and feel okay. That's that's sort of the the self esteem tool is the first one. the The definition of success is another tool, and. This is for your perfectionists, right? The ones who are like, I'm a good doctor. A lot of times what I want to do is talk to them about what it means to be a good doctor and what it means to be a good doctor at our practice because they decided at some point that being a good doctor meant doing all of these things. Yeah. And I might try to redefine success for them. And, and I can have luck with that if I'm dealing with the type A personality, the gold star straight A student, the one who they want to get an A+. Plus. Um one of the things that I can help them do is to redefine the examination so that they realize an A plus involves going home. Right. It involves getting these things done to uh, a, a certain standard and going home and getting the staff out on time. Yep. And it's funny when you have a hard driving person who wants an A plus and you say to them, hey, look, I really need your help in getting the staff out of here on time. Honestly, taking care of the wellness of the team is one of the is the most important thing for us going forward. And this is a transition that we're making. Well, suddenly getting an A plus gold star 
means getting the team out on time or close to on time. Right. And that can really resonate with those people who are there because they want to get an A. They want to get it right. They're perfectionists. I just have to get them to change their view of what perfection is a little bit. Well, and I think that that having that conversation creates the opportunity to see where you are in agreement to have a positive foundation and to lean on and where your differences lie and and be able to give and take, right? Because it's not it's not necessarily completely on them. Yes, you need them to change their behaviors, but if some of the challenge is that your expectations are wildly different than theirs, then maybe some of it is you readjusting your expectations as well and compromising and figuring out how do you meet in the middle to create that new definition. Yeah, I I agree with that. And again, I, I, this is one of those things where it is a compromise and this is not going to be flip a switch and we're there. I think it's a, it's a creeping depth definition, right? This is one of the things of like, a, a pilot program, you know, uh, it feels okay to let this go. Like, right. look, let's do, let's do a little bit. And then you'll see that everything is okay. And in fact, it's more than okay because I am going to praise you and positively reinforce this work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nothing bad's going to happen when you contain the conversations you're having with the pet owners. Um, it's going to be fine and it is fine and you're going to have a good experience. But again, this is basically cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Like they have, we have to change the way they think about it. And then we have to change the way that they experience so that they ultimately kind of relearn these behaviors. And again, I say this as someone who came through the program as a veterinarian, like I've got these quirks too. It's a process of kind of reworking, you know, how we think about success, but you know, we know how to retrain ourselves because we know how to retrain others. Um, it's it's just basic positive reward. You know, it, it works well. So changing the game, uh, changing the currency is and, a big one. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say about having the compromise and defining it too. Part of it is, um, you know, wellness and being a good doctor. These are big nebulous terms that mean different things to different people. And so part of it is starting the conversation for yourself with that individual person and saying, what does this actually look like? What does it tangibly feel like? So that you can recognize the positive behaviors and reward them. If you don't know what wellness looks like, that's a, or, you know, it's, it's part of why the doctor eye rolls it at work-life balance, right? Because yeah. what does that actually mean? What, yeah. what is, you know, that's just a buzz. That's a buzzword. That's a, that's a term that is, we're throwing around. What does it actually mean? What does it look like? And it's going to look like and mean different things to different people. And in your practice, you might have 17 different voices with different definitions for wellness and what it means to be a good doctor, to be a good teammate. So have the conversation and start to define it, not only in its characteristics, but what does the demonstrated behaviors look like? Because if you have that doctor who's sitting there, and this was the case of our friend who said, I feel like being here and taking care of these clients, I am being a good doctor. I don't know what you want from me. That That is because she, th- this other person's vision of what being a good doctor was different. For her, yeah. that looks like, take care of your patients and go home, be with your family, take care of yourself because I need you to be here tomorrow and have, good energy and a positive attitude. That was being a good doctor for for this person, but it was a radically different definition than the doctor that, that they were talking to. That's such a great point about, about wellness because there's a lot of hand-waving and we throw out work-life balance. Like everybody knows what that means. Right. That, look, that looks a million different ways and it looks different for everybody. Uh, I, I think your point about getting into specifics of what does this look like in this practice, I think that's, I think that's re- really important. Um, we gotta change the currency. Right. So again, looking at why doctors stay late, um, is it because they, uh, because of the toughness uh, award? Um, we have to decide that that's not how we're going to reward people. You know what yeah. I mean? If that's not the currency that we want, then we need to talk about what currency we do want. And we can devalue this uh, toughness. And mm-hmm. a lot of times people adjust their behavior, right? People are, people are pretty simple animals and they are good about figuring out what the game is. And playing the game. Yeah. And so it's funny how often we see, we see this all the time, we see vet clinics that tell people, we want you to be well. We want you to have work-life balance. And oh, by the way, here's our compensation structure. And it's all geared towards you working harder. 
you know, uh, and, and working longer. Right. And you go, I hear the words that you're saying, but These I'm two also things are not looking congruent. at. <laughs> yeah, but I'm also looking at what you actually reward, and these things don't really line up. Right. Um, I mean, I'll give you an example of the vet who works through all their breaks and they work through lunch because, um, because of how drop-offs work or walk-ins work. And the person who stays through lunch does all the drop-offs, and they produce exponentially more money. And they end up doing financially better. So you're right. essentially paying them to skip their lunch by the system that you've set up for drop-offs. Mm -hmm. And again, nobody means to do this. I'm not saying, uh, you know, it was intentional because it's not. But those are the types of things I'm trying to point out to say, what incentives to stay late, to skip breaks, to work the team through their breaks. What incentives exist and can we adjust those incentives? So yep. maybe the the drop-offs um, uh, go in order or maybe they immediately get slotted into other doctors or, you know, maybe there's a system for doing them that is going to prevent one person from die you know from working themselves through breaks to try to get there, you know, and, right. and get these things. Yeah. So, so when you change the currency, um, it's amazing how often we tell people you really need to stop doing these things for your own good. And by the way, if you want a bonus, you have to do the exact thing I told you not to do. <laughs> Trust in the team is another one. A lot of times um, we see doctors that are working through breaks and staying late because they don't trust their team to delegate to. Yep. And if that's true, then we have to address it. Um, and that is a shortcoming on on the 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 part of the doctors, I think a lot, or possibly the doctor works at a place where the team uh, hasn't been trained and mm -hmm. they don't trust with good reason. In which case I would say, you probably shouldn't work with a team that, you know what I mean? If you are so, if you are so afraid to hand off work to the people that you work with, you are probably in a very, in a, in a bad place. You know, like that's, that's probably stress that's beyond what you should have to put up with. Well, and that's a great example of where someone has been set up to fail. And so if I was that doctor, like uh, you bet that I would want to, to, to analyze that for myself. And if that is where the motivation is coming from to have the conversation with my hospital leader of like, look, yes, I recognize that I'm doing this. You've pointed this out. Now I see it here's my, here's my why I, yep. we don't have a trained staff. I don't feel safe and I'm not willing to compensate or I'm not willing to have my patient care suffer as a result of that. And so I need your help to solve that problem. If we can solve that problem, I can work harder on the things that I can own, but that's not something yep. that you should have to own. That is a conversation that you need to turn back on, on your hospital leadership and say, this is, this is the problem I see. I need help. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's a really good way to have that conversation is to say, I'll be honest, this is this is the work that I'm doing and, mm -hmm. and I'm not comfortable handing it over because of, you know, uh, because of training or, or whatever. <laughs> and ask for, ask for what you need. I think that there's a lot of truth to that. I have also absolutely seen vets who, um, who, say that about every team yeah you know what i mean yes. i i have 100 percent yep. seen vets that go yeah. well i just don't trust them at some point you go this is on, this is on you and, and it, yep. you know what i mean there, there's very much a balance there and it's, it's very case specific there are some teams where the people need to be trained or they need to be trained in certain things um yep. or there are things that the team could easily do like the technicians could help with the medical records because that's what's sucking up my life and they're standing around and, and waiting for me to type and we could we could delegate some of this work and systematize and we can all get out of here on time. There are doctors who are, if there's no one that you can, if you've never been in a practice that you felt comfortable delegating uh, work to your support staff, it's probably not the support staff at some uh. point. It's, it's, it's going to be you at some point. Man. And so I do think that there are some uh, perfection, perfectionist yes. personalities that need to work on letting go a little bit on delegating delegating with some guidance that doesn't mean throw your hands up and quit right. but it means doing some internal searching of what do i need to feel comfortable handing these things off so that my technicians can do what they were trained to do what they're paid to do and we can be more efficient because at some point you cannot just put your head down and do the work of the entire vet team and then go home and have a, a robust life yeah 
so yeah, I think those are those are my uh, those are my big ones. The the you know redefining the success, what it means to be a doctor, leaning into self esteem, looking at trust for the team, uh, changing up the currency, looking are there motivators for this person to not go home to not take care of themselves and can we remove those motivators so that there is a motive for them to wrap up and to be done and to take care of themselves and those are those are just some of the the basic things for the conversation i love it this was such a fun episode thanks for having this conversation with me oh man my my pleasure i i love this stuff so thanks a lot Seth. have a great week you guys we'll see you next week see you guys Well, everybody, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. Thanks so much for spending your time with us. We truly enjoy spending part of our week with you. As always, Andy and I enjoyed getting into this topic. Um, I have a tiny little favor to ask, actually two of them. One is if you can go to wherever you source your podcasts from and hit the review button and leave us a review. We love hearing your feedback and knowing what you think of the podcast. And number two, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you soon.